0: Oh, it's a bonus. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. COVID update number nine. I didn't know if we were going to get to do another one of these, and I'll be glad when we no longer have to. However. An interesting doctor reached out to me within VA, not a veteran, but a doctor with some interesting information about healthcare inequities in the country, healthcare disparities, how VA is studying that, how it all relates to COVID, how it related to the presentation of information behind COVID vaccines, and what VA is seeing in vaccine acceptance in different groups when compared to other healthcare systems in the country. So it's a data conversation slash episode and I thought I'd share it with you as a bonus. Uh, Please feel free to email me at podcast at va.gov and let me know if you'd like more sidebar conversations like this in relation to COVID-19 or anything else you might like. Now, prior to joining the VA, our guest was a medical officer in the Office of Analysis and Epidemiology at the National Center for Health Statistics at the CDC. Uh, There, he studied rural health disparities analyzed linked hospital vital statistics data to identify care patterns that place patients at high risk for opioid poisoning death. Uh, prior to CDC, he was the director of the division in the Center for Quality Improvement and Patient Safety at the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality that designed and produced the National Healthcare Quality and Disparities Report that was submitted a- that is submitted annually to Congress. He's also an assistant professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine and he's also an emergency care physician at the Baltimore VA Medical Center. Our guest is also a graduate of Harvard College, the New York University School of Medicine and Columbia University's School of Public Health. He was a general internal medicine fellow at Columbia University and a Robert Wood Johnson healthcare finance fellow at Johns Hopkins University. Dude's wicked smart. His research interests include disparities in access and quality of care, particularly in the application of electronic health records, machine learning, and system science modeling to improve healthcare. And now for VA, he is the executive director for the Office of Health Equity for VA Healthcare. So without further ado, that was a lot of ado, I bring to you, Dr. Ernest Moy, enjoy.
1: I was a gunner's mate, Tonkin golf. Logistics, Ramstein. Medic, Kandahar.
0: As a veteran, it doesn't matter when or where you served. Infantry, Camp Pendleton. Or what you did. The VA has benefits that may be useful to you right now. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov.
1: how long have you been with VA? I've only been with VA for about three years, but I've been in federal service for over two te- two decades.
0: I saw that. I saw through the extensive <laughs> bio that 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 is on the um on the on the website there. Um, now you're you're not a veteran, uh, but before joining VA healthcare, like you said, you've had a couple stints within other government agencies concerning healthcare disparities. Uh, given reports annually, also you've given reports annually to Congress. During that time, you were, uh, you've been at the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Uh, what were you starting to that's a whole mouthful uh, mm-hmm. of Beltway speak if I've ever heard one. Uh, what were you starting to discover that you were including in your reports to Congress?
1: Sure. So um, spent a lot lo- long time with Arc. that's what we call it. it's a little easier to say than um, the full agency name. Um,
0: acronyms. But what do you That
1: you know the first interest in looking at disparities you know started way back in the, uh, in the VA. Um, like many of us, uh, I trained at the VA. was at uh, VA Manhattan uh, during my um, medical school, and okay. VA Philadelphia during residency, and then my first job was at VA Baltimore. And one of the things you know, I observed was that you do see disparities among uh, different groups of veterans, and they tended to be larger outside of the VA because they all have affiliates than inside of the day and this really sparked a lot of my interest in in disparities you know what can we do to address disparities to make sure everyone gets the care that they need Um, and my first federal position was at the at arc and one of our tasks was to uh, inform congress about the status of quality of care as well as disparities in quality of care across the nation and we produced reports every year and what we saw was basically what i had originally described which is there are differences. Not everyone gets the same care. Not everyone achieves the same health outcomes. Um, there are ways for us to address that. And now it's just a matter of putting that into practice.
0: Very good. Um, you were also a medical officer at the CDC in the Office of Epidemiology at the National Center for Health and Statistics. Again, another Beltway label if I've ever mm-hmm. heard one. Um, there again, uh, you studied healthcare disparities, uh, focusing on rural healthcare. Uh, what were the biggest disparities between, I mean, what were you seeing as far as between urban and rural healthcare? Um, what are some of the things that you were
1: discovering there? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, as for other kinds of disparities, there are many, many, many different kinds of disparities. And one of the things that the, the center that I was at is, that would do is we manage all the detritive and virtual regions. And so we were looking at mortality data, and trying to look at differences in mortality and we see huge differences in mortality rates between urban and rural areas and then they're not getting smaller they are uh, persistent they are longstanding. um we see that the healthcare resources available to rural areas is getting worse you know rural hospitals closing uh, not enough doctors these are things that are not actually getting better and so this is a major area of interest for us
0: I'm seeing that at my hometown and mm-hmm. back in, in Hocum, you know, Aberdeen, Washington, uh, they're talking about closing down the local hospital there. Um, so I definitely see it from, from my you know, hometown point of view. Um, were there any benefits that you saw in rural healthcare versus suburban or urban healthcare? Mm-hmm.
1: So one of the things we do observe is that, um, rural residents tend to have close relationships with their doctors when they have doctors. Um, They rate them more highly, they, you know, they feel like those doctors, maybe because there's fewer of them, you know, really know them, they will follow the advice of their doctors. And so, so that, that is the benefit of having a smaller community in urban centers, you know, like you come to the VA, I think we're pretty good. I mean, you know, you you usually get the the same doctors that you are used to seeing, but it's often as a team, there are handoffs um, and, and I think that's just less often in the rural area.
0: Very good. Uh, You also linked uh, hospital vital statistics to to data to identify care patterns that place patients at high risk for opioid poisoning, death, and develop new data visualizations and partnerships for disseminating health statistics. I had to read that because it's a mouthful of words that I didn't know go together. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Can you you give me an example of what you were talking about there?
1: Okay. So um, part of the focus on rural areas, some of the things that you know, brought to us our, to our attention, even though, you know, rural people say we, we've been tracking these differences of long standing. But you know, in the last decade, we saw a lot of rise in death rates due to opioids and other substances in rural areas. Yeah. People yeah. talked about this increase in deaths of despair, that's been a lot of it's been concentrated in rural areas, at least initially. And that was a lot of the focus of, uh, of these activities, specifically trying to identify if there are specific populations or specific places that this is the you know big situation at highest risk in a lot of ways it mirrors some of the things we do inside of va where we also do this kind of modeling to try to identify veterans at high risk for an adverse outcome uh, from opioids. Okay. um and the difference one of the reasons i came to the va is when we do this modeling outside we 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 do our models and we say okay yeah these people we have to be worried about and um Healthcare providers, you need to be pay attention to this, right? scores inside the VA, it's like we can do the same thing and say these people are at high risk. And now it's healthcare providers do something, but there are healthcare providers. And so they can actually do something. And they actually do an yeah. it and reduce these ad, they use these algorithms to review, uh, reduce the rates of adverse events among people who want to so
0: with the opioid epidemic were you seeing it not just as a veteran issue because you know we did Mm -hmm. have a a a problem with that in 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 the veteran population but were you also seeing that in the greater population as Mm -hmm. well
1: yeah definitely it it was not it's not a veteran issue this is a generic nationwide kind of issue um you know so like like so many things that we see affecting veterans um we can we can do things to them once they get into our system but they live in communities and so the thing, yeah. same things that are, affect their communities affect our veterans. And until we can bring them into our system and do our, you know, magic on them, it, it, their rates, their circumstances, their risks mirror what they experience in the community.
0: Doc, I bring all this up to give whoever may be listening some background in that you've studied healthcare disparity for. For in America for a very long time, uh, for how, about how
1: many years? You oh, God, 25 years, thirty years, twenty five. Yeah, long. I know it's right. And, <laughs> and I have the most boring career of all. Right, I just keep focusing and studying the same thing.
0: Well, that's how you become an expert in certain certain things. If you if that's your focus, you're laser focused on it. You're gonna you're gonna be someone that people look to and in, in, in a specific area of focus. Absolutely,
1: and, and we um, can. Having that long view of it, we can also I can also talk about, you know, changes that have happened over that time course, which may not be as apparent to people who are only looking at a shorter time frame. So a lot of people, you know, complain and we do this all the time saying, oh, well, you know, it's just been, we've known about disparities for such a long time and it hasn't changed. But it actually has changed. And so when we first started looking at disparities, you know, 25, 30 years ago, we would get pushback saying this really doesn't exist. This is just an artifact. Um, we don't believe it exists. And over time, as we've developed the information and really shown healthcare providers that this is not just some theoretical construct, but this is your care to these patients, and look, there are disparities here here. I think we've reached the point where most of the healthcare system understands that there are disparities, and now they're focused more on how to deal with them, and that's the challenge, as opposed to the state of denial that they don't exist.
0: Sure, what's been the biggest thing in 25 years that you've seen as far as changes in healthcare disparity?
1: Mm-hmm. So, we, as overall outside of VA, we have seen a generally a narrowing of healthcare disparities. Um, at the beginning, the big focus was racial and ethnic kind of disparities, and we still do see those disparities, but we also see many other kinds of disparities as many other populations have received attention. So, 30 years ago, no one thought about looking at, for instance, sexual orientation. You know, as a disparities issue. But when we look at it now, we see that it has a huge effect that, you know, sexual minority people in general are very, very disadvantaged in the care that they get. They're very, very stressed out by the circumstances in which they have to live. And it's something we didn't even think about looking at, you know, 30 years ago. So there's those kinds of changes.
0: So You're looking at different types. Uh, you're, you're separating the population by race, by uh, sexual orientation, by socioeconomic issues, and trying to figure out better ways to, sit, to take care of everyone. Um, now you're applying this knowledge to the current issue of vaccine acceptance. Um, with VA's Office of Health Equity, are you studying the healthcare disparity via socioeconomic,
1: rural versus urban, by race, or all of the above? You name it, we, we, we're, <laughs> we've looked at it well, You know, part of it's shotgun because when this all started, we weren't sure what was gonna be important because um, you know, the beauty of having a big system like the VA with both researchers and, and healthcare providers is that we could see very, very early on, so more than a year ago, last March, you know, we were seeing that signal, that, uh, that the COVID infection was not evenly distributed across our veterans, um, that we were seeing much, much, at that point, much, much higher rates among certain racial and ethnic groups. And so we, need, we knew that we needed to do something about it. We just couldn't um, what, leave it What that, were some of way. the
0: factors, what, what do you think were some of the factors of that? Was it just living in close quarters, uh, being
1: in an, more of an urban environment? Um, what, what do you think some of the factors were? Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of factors that we considered, but one of the things, again, as a big system, is that we set our researchers to go and look to see what happened during past pandemics. And I think what happened during past pandemics has played out now. What they found is the major determinant is occupational exposure. So m- many minorities are more likely to be essential workers They have to physically go to work and be exposed and have face-to-face contact. And that's, yeah. that is the big thing. It's not the different groups are less likely to do masking and social distancing and washing their hands and all those different kinds of things. It's, th- it's, a, it's their exposures.
0: The, the chance of being exposed Inter- yeah. interesting, mm-hmm. interesting. Um, in terms of vaccine acceptance, uh, what are you seeing in these in these factors in these in these different sections? How is it all breaking down?
1: Mm-hmm. So, what we're seeing now, and this is looking at our data, the VA data, which is different from what's outside. What we're seeing yeah. is that our vaccination rates are really good with um, race, ethnicity. So, we're seeing higher rates of uh, yeah. vaccine uptake among. Almost all of our racial and ethnic groups, minorities, so Blacks, Hispanics, Asians, Native Hawaiians, American Indians, um, are picking up vaccination at a very high rate. And for most of these groups, the rate is even higher than it is for white veterans. We don't see any differences related to sex either. And what we're seeing is that rural veterans are the ones that are not picking up the vaccine as quickly as the urban veterans. And so that's where we see our gap. That's where we see a major focus area is.
0: So you're seeing, and that could be across uh, racial lines and ethnic lines and things like that. It's just rural versus urban. There's a lot of that.
1: Yes, there is. But we can actually look at it, cut up, sliced up by race and ethnicity and by rurality. Yeah. And um, what we see, for instance, is in the urban areas, it's pretty even again across the racial and ethnic groups. And um, in the rural areas is where we see some differences. So, for instance, American Indians, they're less likely to get vaccinated at out in the rural areas. We think that may be in part because Indian Health Service has gotten to them and have gotten their vaccination through that system more quickly than they could through us.
0: Interesting. Um, This is all interesting. Uh, So you're saying that this data, the VA's data is a little bit different from the outside data. What are you seeing as far as the differences Mm -hmm. between what VA is doing and what what outside VA is
1: doing? So what we hear from outside the VA is that they're seeing significant racial and ethnic differences that, you know, minority veterans, minority people are less likely to uh, get vaccinated than um, than than white Americans. And we don't, we're simply not seeing that inside of the Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a lot of different reasons. Um, I mean, our, we're a healthcare system first, so that's, that's the biggest difference in my mind. So a lot of places, you know, you have to figure out if you're eligible for a vaccine and you have to go through all this rigmarole to sign up um, yeah. around here. It's like click, 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 you know, for days and then eventually you might get an appointment. And so it is both um, impersonal dependent upon the patient and then difficult. And I think inside the VA, you know, we have a better system. We have a system. And so first of all, our providers were talking to our veterans about vaccination way before vaccine was available. So starting in the fall, they're talking to their veterans. Oh, it wouldn't be great when this becomes available. You you won't have to worry as much anymore, Um, you know, in our system. We know our patients, and so we can call them up, and a lot of people have been doing that. Call them up. You're eligible for vaccine now. Do You want to get vaccinated, and if you do, they say, "Oh, when do you want to get vaccinated? We can set up an yeah. appointment for you." And so, much I think better system. Just,
0: mm-hmm. It's a much better system than what I was seeing uh, in the counties uh, back home, and my, my talking to my dad and my grandma and trying to get them back vaccinated, and and you know because uh, they're high risk. You know, I wanted to see them get, get back and would be one of the first, but to get through the, you know, the different systems of the different counties. Whereas I think, yeah, you're right. VA was a much, you know, streamlined process throughout the entire country compared to others. I could see where that would be a difference. Um, by now we've seen over 2 million veterans vaccinated at VA facilities. Refusal rates have been at 3.5%. Is that low or high?
1: Um, I think that that is probably, right where we are. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. I, it, it, but it's a, squ- it's a really squishy number. And so there, this part of the squishiness uh, relates to the fact that, um, you know, what is a refusal? So I to look at being a data person, I look at the data and I say, oh, you know what? There's a chunk of the people who refuse, the veterans who refuse vaccine and then they get it. <laughs> so the refusal is not definitely, I'm never going to get this vaccine because I see them getting it it's, it's, it's yeah. more refusal. I'm not ready to set, to get to, to sign up for an appointment to get it right now. And I also, and I
0: think, yeah, I was gonna say, I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. I think there's different populations will accept it at different rates. You know, I think the more, you, like, you know, there's a certain population that if you press on them more, the more they're going to refuse it. Right. Mm-hmm. If, don't make it weird. Right. Let's 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 just make it, a uh, you know, and, and some people are going to wait until uh, FDA's fully approved it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's going to be a, a you're going to see a big a big chunk of that as well. I, I think it's it's going to be a different rates with different people. And I think people just have to understand that, right. you know, and just kind
1: of can figure that out. And a lot of it, um, I think, is like being vaccinated on your terms. And so, so yeah. I vaccinate um, out in the community and I vaccinate veterans out in the community. So outside of the, you know, in my county. And so I get and I get back to the veterans who refused vaccination at VA. And you know, obviously they're they're coming to get vaccinated. So it's not like they didn't want to get vaccinated, it's just they couldn't get vaccinated on their own terms. So I had one veteran yeah. who said, you know, I went to the the VA called me and said I could get Johnson and Johnson, but I didn't want Johnson and Johnson. They couldn't give me another one. So that's why I'm coming to you to get vaccinated. That's a refusal. Yeah, I- <laughs> I think it's gr- I think it's great
0: that, you know, I mean we're we're really what the only country in the world that has three different types of vaccinations. So Americans mm-hmm. are getting a little choosy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I want the want the I want the Moderna or I want the Johnson and Johnson or I want the Pfizer. Mm-hmm. And 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 they're doing their own research and that's that's all good things, you know. And I think it's I think we're lucky to be in a country where we have three different types of 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 vaccinations for the for for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm just. I'm waiting for someone to say I want all three, right? And just be like, uh, <laughs> maybe uh, we'll <laughs> one, one ring to rule them all, type of thing, you know. <laughs> um, why do you think VA has been successful with minority veterans? Um, and if that is in contra uh, in contrast to other healthcare systems, what sort of lessons can VA share? with other healthcare systems about easing the worries of vaccinations with minority groups?
1: Mm-hmm. So I think there are things that are passive that we described that were true for all veterans, but I think they may disproportionately help minority veterans. And so um, these are people that we're connected with, they're, they're not strangers, they trust their providers, they trust other veterans, um, that they know the VA system. Uh, so I think that helps us out, but it's, you know, it's kind of passive. Uh, we have these systems to go reach out to them and kind of get them in for vaccination and get a passive process. In addition to all that, you know, VA has been doing some very things, important things to think actively. So very early on, we were concerned about uh, vaccine hesitancy. And so we designed products that are specifically geared towards different veterans. So we had um, listening sessions with minority veterans and heard from them, you know, what okay. need for you to get vaccinated? And I think it came down to two things. It came down to trust and it came down to truth. So they wanted to hear from someone they trusted, their doctor or another veteran. We can do that. And they needed to hear the truth. They wanted to hear scientific evidence. They didn't want to hear all this rhetoric. So we have compiled the scientific evidence, for instance, to show that no, you know, yes, in fact, you know, there were tons of uh, uh, minority peoples who participated in the vaccine trials—tens of thousands. It's not like this is not. Was there a, was
0: there a time when when people were under when minority groups were wondering if they mm-hmm. were part of the
1: trials? Yes, so that was a, that was a big thing that was flagging. It's like okay. Well, we you know we know a lot of uh, clinical trials is you know it basically you know affluent white males are, are in the trials, and so if this is like that. We don't know if this is actually just relevant to us, but Interesting. these vaccine trials are different. They have tens of thousands of minority people participating in all these vaccine type trials. We have very very good evidence that it is safe and effective for everybody, um, and so that you know that was one of the things that we targeted to make sure that information was available to debunk any kind of potential issues related to that. We also did outreach so we spoke to different kinds of groups um, so that we could talk to them specifically about the vaccination its importance and try to overcome some of these vaccine hesitancy issues.
0: What were some of the issues that you were seeing uh what was like some of the larger were there some of the larger myths that you had to debunk? Well mm-hmm. one being the one being the um you know the fact that nobody was in Charles that, that no minority groups were in the trials I'm sure you had to that was probably pretty easy to debunk. What are some? What was? Give me, give me another one. What was another? See,
1: another big one that myth. we had was they told us, yeah, especially African American veterans, that you had to talk about Tuskegee. You can't talk about, um, you know, uh, trials or anything that's experimental without addressing Tuskegee. And so we do. What's that mean? Oh, so in, Tus- in these Tuskegee trials, this, this is from decades and decades ago. Um, African Americans were uh, enrolled in these uh, syphilis trials they weren't trials they they were they're monitoring people with syphilis over time to see what happened to them and even after treatment became available even after effective antibiotics were developed they weren't offered treatment so they never they never got treatment and yeah this is you know a black eye obviously in medical research yeah you know what we emphasize is the issue then was they were never given the autonomy and the uh, right to decide for themselves about what they wanted, what kind of care they wanted, what they wanted treatment. And right now, we're trying to do the reverse. We are trying to make sure that everyone has the information they need to make an informed decision about vaccination, um, the right one for them and their families. We're not saying it has to be yes, because I don't think it has to be yes. I mean, I know I, know I want to wait. That's not unreasonable if you can protect yourself. Um, yeah. Making sure that it is in the veterans' hands to make that decision. So we we, we argue that it's 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 a total opposite of to Tuskegee, where they weren't given the right to decide. Here we're trying to make sure everyone has the right to decide.
0: And I think we're going to be a, at a point now soon that the supply is going to overwhelm the demand, and we're actually going to have some left over. And it's like okay, whenever you want it, it's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the all good things. The VA. Does a very good job on the medical side. I don't know of anybody that has any complaints. My primary care doctor is probably the best doctor I've ever had in my
1: life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lewis, for
1: my friend, good patient of mine. He only comes once a week, but I do. <laughs> I enjoy him. She really comes good.
0: in special yes, early I in the do. morning. Early in the Just morning
1: for me. That's exactly why
0: I choose VA. Choose VA today. Visit va.gov. I want to thank Dr. Moy for reaching out to me. You can find more information about Dr. Moy and find the email to reach out to him at va.gov forward slash health equity forward slash O-H-E underscore leadership dot A-S-P. That is all we have for this episode. As always, if you like this podcast episode and you want to hear more as they come out, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any pod catching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man, or those, you know, those echoes, those dots, we're on those as well. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov. And follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, which there is a whole playlist of Born the Battle on there, Rally Point, LinkedIn, Pinterest, DEPT Vet Affairs, US Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that, but I say that because the song you're hearing now is called "Machine Gunner," which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song, and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here. On our regularly scheduled Monday episode coming up. Until then, take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine guard. Bullets fly day and night, rain. Simplify down.
1: Six, two round, that'll cut them down in an instant. Point, click, pull the trigger to the tune of falling brass. Full bit of bits in a purple heart, and a Russian made bullet in my back.
0: Raiding down dead, punching that clock Get them boys, I'm laying down cover, machine cover. bullets fly in that brain fight do or die another campaign here we go lock and load 331 lug a thousand rounds and i ain't bringing back one